77. Amen. 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 We've been uh, preaching for the last few weeks through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been understanding and getting clarity on what Jesus would have to say for us in the Sermon on the Mount, giving us a picture of kingdom citizens, giving us a picture of what it is to live life in the kingdom. Because before this, he had announced the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And through the Sermon on the Mount, he begins to break down and walk through the various different things that we need to know to be kingdom citizens. What does it look like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom? Amen. Amen. And I, I believe the word today is going to help us today and cause us to grow in maturity. Amen. 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 So Matthew chapter number five, verse number 31 through 37 Amen. And it reads this. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation as you see it there on the screen. This is Jesus saying, you have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not say, do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Verse 37 says, just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Amen. Thank God for his word. And I'm using for a title today, keep your word. Keep your word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. I pray, Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive from you, to hear from you. God, give us clarity. Give us understanding. God, give us grace. Give us insight into your word today. We thank you and honor you for this in Jesus' name. God, let, let my words be your words alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Keep your word. Keep your word. Amen. This passage of scripture, I don't know when the last time you've read it. I don't know when the last time you have perused on scriptures about divorce. You know, I don't, I don't know when the last time that showed up in your devotional text or things like that. Um, and I don't think I've ever preached from this passage before. But I want to ask you a question as we dive into it is that for those of you who are married, did y'all say those traditional marriage vows? You know, the ones that goes like this. I you say your name. Take these you say your spouse's name to be my wedded wife or husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Did anybody say something like that or something similar like that? I take thee to be. And what happens is that every day, dozens or hundreds of couples stand before a pastor or a priest, or some folks go down to the courthouse and stand before someone at the courthouse or a judge, and they say something similar to this. Every single day, many, many couples make these vows to say, girl, I'm going to be with you to the end. Man, I'm going to stick with you until I ain't going nowhere. And for some people, those vows last for the rest of their life. Some, they stay until death, as it says. For some, it lasts for 50 years, for some 40, for some it lasts for 20, 
For some, it lasts for 10, some five. And I know my wife and I know examples. Some, they didn't make it through the summer. But by the fall, they were signing some new papers to annul that marriage. And I realized today, as I can see the look in your eyes, I know this affects a lot of people. Divorce is one of those things that affects, if it hasn't affected you, maybe your family, maybe your mother, your father. Um, It affects all of us in some way. And so what I want you to do, I want to say this before I even start preaching today, is that we don't do bashing people here at the Rock Church. This is not condemnation. Our goal today is not to make you or make us feel like anything. Our goal today is to say, Lord, what is your word say. And we believe, and I say this all the time, I say this every Sunday, almost every Sunday, we believe in preaching the Bible here. And so I wouldn't be a good pastor if I skimmed over this and said, oh, we'll just talk about that another time. So I want you to open your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to show us, God, what does your word say? I want us to leave with an understanding of what Jesus says. And so for many of us, we make those vows. But before we even get to what divorce is, and it's probably the, the, the crux of what I like to talk about today, is that before we can understand, we have to understand what is marriage? What is marriage? And marriage is three things, and three things that we're not here. Marriage is a representation of Jesus Christ and the church. Jesus Christ and his bride. Marriage is also between one man and one woman for a lifetime. And also marriage is a covenant made before God. Marriage is a representation of Christ and his church. Marriage is between one man and one woman. And marriage is a covenant before God. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter number five, verse 31 to 33. It says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother. And the apostle is quoting from Genesis and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And marriage is meant, as I said, for a lifetime to represent Christ's commitment. Christ's sacrifice, Christ's covering of the church and Christ's love for the church, and also the church representing the submission of the bride to the husband, representing the honoring of Christ as, a, uh, uh, as the husband, representing an obeying of Christ, and representing the following and the leading of Christ. So marriage is an eternal establishment. Marriage was not established by government organizations. Marriage was not established because it was something American, something we started doing in the 16, 1700s. Marriage was not established by man's idea, but marriage was God's, is God's idea. And so, uh, Archer, if you can come up here for just one second. One of the things, and I didn't tell her this, I meant to tell you this morning, but I forgot. I walked out the house very quickly and forgot to tell her. But one of the things we see is that when we talk about marriage being one, this is my wife, clap for Archer as she comes up this morning. (laughs) One thing we see that marriage it talks about the two becoming one, right? Linking up. Real, get me tight now. Get me tight. Get me, get me free. Okay, my bad. I did it wrong. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, man. All right. Marriage is a linking up between two. Now, listen, me and Archer, if, you, if I begin to tell you about our families, we come from some things about our families are similar, but a lot of things are very different. I'm a, I'm a third child of four. My wife is the only child. I grew up in, 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 in southeastern Virginia. 
she she grew up up there in the, you know, Northern Virginia by DC, you know, government workers, they got security clearances and stuff. <laughs> I grew up by the water, you know, where it was crabs and you know, all you know, all that, right? We come from two different different background. She has different education than me. She has master's degree and thinking about going back to school. I, I just got a bachelor's, you know, amen. But praise God for the bachelor's. Amen. You know, I grew up playing sports and so did she. She did some music and so did I. But we, I say all that to say, I can give you all these examples of where we're different and where we're similar. But marriage is to be us saying, girl, we won. We're bringing our differences. We're bringing our similarities. We're bringing our backgrounds. And we're coming from our families to create a new family. Now, I say that to say this, that if marriage is a picture of two people becoming one, then what is divorce? If God says to us, what God has joined together, let no man cast asunder, let no man tear apart, then what divorce is, it is a ripping apart. I know, I know. It's a ripping apart of what God has joined together. I want to tell you that God's intent for us when we got married was to be forever. God's intent for us when we got married was to be for a lifetime. And marriage is a picture of that. Thank you. I just wanted to lock arms with you and just touch your arm. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6 through 8. It says, since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split them apart, as I just said, what God has joined together. And then verse 7 says, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Verse number 8, Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God originally intended. There's a question that people say, is divorce a sin? Is divorce a sin or not a sin? And I was reading some different things about this week, as you can imagine, and people have different opinions about that. But this is what I say is that divorce is a result of sin. And I say that because we are all given to the fallen nature of sin. And when you got two fallen people coming together to try and live out an eternal, hey man, hey man, Mr. Arden, you mind moving? <laughs> My God, I think I'm about to take them. <laughs> when you have two, just distractions, just distractions. And this is an important word for us and I hope you hear it. What I was saying was that when you have two people with the sin nature, now in Christ, we're brand new, but we still got to fight off the flesh. When you got two people like that coming together to try and do something eternal, there are bound to be issues. So whether we say divorce is sin or not a sin, what it is, it is a product because it is a tearing apart of what God has eternally joined together. And most of the time, divorces come from some type of sin in our marriages, some type of whether it be unrepentance, some type of, as we'll see, adultery, some type of issue where we cannot be reconciled as in Christ. And so we see that happening. But because the Bible, but the Bible says a lot about divorce and that it was not God's intent. But this is the thing. In that same vein, murder was not God's intent. Stealing was not God's intent. Us hurting one another was not God's intent. Us abusing one another, coveting from one another was not God's intent. This was not God's intended design. But you say, well, it happens, Pastor. I hear some folks here. People, we hear, we get. It happens. But what I want to say to you is this, before I even go to the next thing, is that if you've been divorced or for whatever reason, I want to say this right now, is that what I want you to do, and you probably already, you may have already done this or not, I want you to repent. I want you to accept the forgiveness of the Lord, and I want you to move forward with your life. I'm going to say it again. I want you to repent. I want you to receive the love and forgiveness of God, and I want you to move forward in your life. 
It is not a death sentence. It is not the end of your life. It is not the end of your story. It is a chapter for many people, whether it was you, whether it was your family. It is not the end. Amen. Amen. And so let's keep going. So you may ask, okay, Pastor Corey, what would be biblical reasons for someone getting a divorce? What would be biblical reasons for that? And I want to give you three reasons here. And this is the first that we see. The three reasons are this. And I'll just tell you ahead of time. The three reasons are that we see is adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. And Matthew chapter number, when we, let's fill with the first adultery. Matthew chapter number five. For as we read it earlier, verse 31 and 32, Jesus says this. He says, you've heard the law says that a man can simply give his wife a written notice of divorce and basically send her away. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, meaning committed adultery, he causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. What Jesus is saying here, he lays out that adultery in a marriage is grounds for divorce. It is grounds for divorce. If you have chosen not to reconcile, because there are some in marriages where adultery happens and you may choose to reconcile with your husband or with your wife. That is an option. But the Bible declares to us, he says, if you decide not to reconcile, that it is an option to divorce if adultery has taken place. And I realize the scripture says Jesus is talking about a man uh, divorcing his wife. But we understand the context of that culture. Many things that they said was directed to the men. But we recognize in the context for all the brothers in here that may say, oh, they won't talk about me. No, it's talking about the men too. Amen. If the husband commits adultery, it's the same thing. It works for husbands and wives. And this is physical adultery. Emotional adultery, internet adultery, being unfaithful to my spouse is a grounds for that, according to the word. And remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 5, a couple verses earlier, verse 28. Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, he said, bro, you already, you already there. He said, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So we recognize and we preached about this a couple weeks ago that it actually doesn't start in the bed. It starts in the heart. It starts on the inside before it ever gets to the outside. So Jesus says, if your wife or your husband has been unfaithful, that is grounds for a divorce. Let's keep moving. But then also abandonment is the next thing. And we see this from 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Flip over there. Verses 10 through 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10, verses 10 through 15. The apostle Paul is talking. He says, for those who are married, I have a command that comes from me, but not from the Lord. It's very important to know. Paul is giving his wisdom, his advice. But he says, this is not strictly from the Lord, but I'm giving you some godly wisdom. He says, a wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Verse 12 says, but now I will speak to the rest of you. He says, though I, have, I do not have a direct command from the Lord, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is unwilling to continue living with him, he, uh, rather, if she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, the children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But verse 15, if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other for God has called you to live in peace. The Apostle Paul gives us some wisdom and 
One of the reasons, one commentary said the reason he may have said this was because when you go back and look in the book of Ezra, there were many people in the nation of Israel who were married to, um, they were married to spouses of other nations, of pagan nations. And when Ezra started up to begin to preach the word during that time, he told them, he told them, leave your pagan spouses. Don't be with them any longer. And so one commentary says Paul may have brought this up because they may have been under depression, under the impression that they were married to someone who's not a believer and they got saved. Oh, I'm going to just divorce them because they're not saved. And the apostle Paul tells us, he said, don't do that. He said, if they want to stay with you, y'all heard these, Lord Jesus, we've seen this before. I know Ms. Truman's talked about this, where a, a spouse may get married and their spouse might not be married for three, four, five, six years, but they're a good spouse. I remember a lady was telling me one time, she was married to this man, you know, she said he would clean my car for church every Sunday. He would, he, would, he would fill my car up to gas so I could go to church. But he was like, I ain't going now. I'm going to wash the car on Saturday. I'm going to make sure you're good. She said for years he would do that until he finally years later got saved. So we see an example. And you may have known examples that you may have lived that before. Of where if you're married to a good spouse and they're a good person, the Bible says that they want to stay with you and love you and treat you right. The text tells us stay with them. But it says this. It goes down. It says, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, and we're talking about abandonment. He said, they, the, I'm going to just put it in just, my God, plain turn. Uh, my mama say, you say, you can't make nobody stay with you. You can't make nobody love you. And you can't make nobody want to be with you. The Bible tells us this, and I believe this too, and I say this as your pastor. If somebody up and go to California and say, I'm not coming back, I'm done with you, be free from that obligation. There is nothing we can do about that because that person, that spouse or husband has abandoned you. And this is the thing I want to, I'm, I'm taking an apostle Paul here. Because the apostle puts this in the context, just if your spouse is an unbeliever. But I would contend for you and I would just add a little, just hear this from me. It's not about just hear this from me. Some wisdom. If your spouse is saved and they leave you high and dry, I don't know what type of salvation they got. But I'm, I, I, we want to be free in Jesus' name. If your spouse is saved or unspaced and, and, and leaves you and go to uh, Milwaukee and they gone, you are free from that obligation. Because while you're sitting there praying for 20 years, they didn't go with somebody else. It tells us if that person abandons you, you are free from that obligation. And this is very interesting. I want you to hear something in this too. This is very good. This is kind of a sidebar. In the beginning of that passage, it's so interesting that Paul says this. He, he, he words it in such a way that if the unbeliever leaves, you are free. But I saw one commentary, one study here is that from the perspective of the, of the apostle Paul, his perspective was, if you are both believers, your goal should be reconciliation. That's what he's telling us. And that's why he words it to say, if the unbeliever leaves, roll out. But he's, it's under the assumption that if y'all are both full of the Holy Ghost, if y'all are both saved, sanctified, fire baptized, the goal should be reconciliation and not divorce. And we recognize those things still happen in spite of, but we're just dealing with the word. Amen. Amen. And this is the last thing here. This is the third thing. Uh, not just adultery, but not just abandonment, but also abuse. And we see this, and we see wisdom from this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 through 29. It says this, verse 28 says, In the same way, husbands, this is, hear this, husbands are to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one, verse 29, hear this, no one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. If someone was, a, was beating up their own body, we would consider that they have a mental health issue. 
we would consider they need to seek help immediately because it is not in our nature just as humans to hurt ourselves. This is why we call, we use words like self-harm. We realize, oh my, you need some medication. You need to go see someone. You need to be admitted because harming your own body is considered mentally not well. It is considered not, not, not on the up and up. And so we can apply wisdom as the word tells us. It says as a husband, and we know this as wives as well, because we know there's a percentage of men who are abused by their wives. That is not, that is not far-fetched. We were talking about this more a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, that there are some men who are being abused by their wives. And so we understand that when you take a position, it tells us to love your wife as your own body. Let me tell y'all something, what I do for my body. Listen, I got fresh hot showers. I got cologne on. I'm working out trying to get my abs. I'm trying to eat better. I'm going to care for my own body. The text tells us, how can you care for your own body, but your wife has a black eye from you? How can you care for your own body, but you didn't scratch your husband's face all up in anger? It says, no, no, no. Your spouse, you said care for their body like your body. So the way you take care of yourself you, the way you take care of yourself, you take care of them. We, we draw wisdom from this to say, if you're not in a position, if you or I or anyone is not in a position where they are caring for their spouse's body, for their spouse's mind, for their spouse's mental, for their spouse's heart like their own, it says we are entering into the territory of abuse. And I would contend that we don't believe nobody stay in any type of abusive situations up in here because, and I say this um, I would never want to tell you, go back to an abuser, and then we don't hear from you again, and we have to make other arrangements for your life, man. That would be tore up, man. Mm-mm. We're not going to roll like that, Ryan. I would hate that if I told you, go back over there, and I get another call. And now we're making arrangements because we sent you back to an abuser. The devil is a liar. We're not doing that. We don't condone that. We don't believe in that. We don't stand for that. Your spouse should care for you like they care for themselves. And I know I just talk, not just talking about physically as well, but if we're hollering and cussing and demeaning our spouses, if we are, we're, we're, if we are treating them evilly, that is grounds to say, no, 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 not me. We are out of there in Jesus' name. And so with that, the, the main point of this is this, and this is really the crux of it, because I'm not, we're not just looking in the word to find reasons to get out of something, right? I wanted to highlight the reasons biblically that may you find yourself in, or may someone may find themselves in a position of divorce, but really the crux of what the word is the crux of the word is leaning on us to say, how are we reconciling that God's intent for us was to be reconciled, was to work through our differences, that just because my wife don't cook for me every night, that's not a reason to say I'm out of here. And sometimes for my job, my job, I have to do interviews with people. And sometimes I have to interview their former spouses. Let me tell y'all, those are always some interesting. Because every time I call them and ask them, do you want to do this interview for you? They always hear a deep breath on the phone. I'm telling you, every time, they always like, because they know the spouse needs this for their new job, right? Their background check. They're always like, when you want to meet Mr. Butler, I can do it for them. I don't want them to not have a job because now they got to pay the child. Y'all see what I'm saying? They, all, they do it, 
I've had a few that said, no, I don't want to do it, but they'll do it. But it's always a, yeah, I'll do it. And I always have to ask them, why did you get divorced? I have to ask him. And I, I try and preface it. I try to, you know, hey, I apologize. I have this part of the job. It's just part of the question. I always have to ask him, why? Why did you, why did you get divorced? Because we have to know. Because for this, this background check, we have to know, are you divorced because something didn't work out? Are you divorced because of an adultery? Are you divorced because of an affair? Are you divorced because they're crazy? We need to know that, right, for their job. And inevitably, they always give various reasons. And sometimes it's some of these reasons. Sometimes they were crazy. I was out of there. Sometimes it's they, they, had, an, uh, an, they had an affair. Those come up as well. But it's always interesting just to see the, just the demeanor of the spouses to say, man, I don't really want to talk about this because it's hard. But I'm, I say that to say this, is that the real point of this, and, I, and I'm jumping down for a second because Jesus in this passage, he talks about vows. He talks about making oaths. And he says, don't swear by heaven or earth or all that. He goes down to verse number, the verse number uh, 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 at the end of the passage here. I don't know. I'm like, what, the, what is the verse? Verse 37. He says this, and this would be for our vows, for our marriages. He says, just simply say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Jesus basically telling me that after all that, I'm telling you about divorce, I'm telling you about vows. The point he's saying, he said, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. If you say you're going to stick with that woman, stick with her. If you say you're going to stick with that man, and that's a good man, stick with them. He said, make sure, because marriage is a vow. Marriage is a covenant. And we're not just looking for ways to get out of it like we talked about. But we're looking for ways to, okay, God, give us the strength. Give us the grace. Give us the fortitude. Give us the wisdom to reconcile. Give us the wisdom. I almost called this message like the old song, Let's Stay Together. Y'all remember that? Oh, that's an old, you know, back. that's some of y'all up and that's y'all, okay. I'm a little younger than some of y'all. I almost called this message, Let's Stay Together. Let's because I don't, I don't want you to walk away and say, oh, I got him now. I'm going to get a oh, pastor and gave me the green light. If, it's, if it falls into one of these, okay, and it's that situation, let's talk about that. Possibly, if you find yourself there, let's do what the word say. Let's go forward. But I don't want you to walk away and just say, oh, I got a reason to get out. I, would, I really want you to walk away and say, okay, God, your intent was for us to be in this for a lifetime. God, show me, show me, show me how, how to do this thing. Show me how to be a good husband. Show me how to be a good wife. Show me how to love this person. I don't, I don't like when they leave them drawers open. In the, I don't like, oh, Jesus, I don't, I don't like, God, when they, the way they say that. I, God, show us. Show us how to be, how to have healthy marriages so that we don't find ourselves in a situation to say, now we got to make a different type of decision. Amen. Amen. I pray you receive the word today. I pray, I, 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 I'm sorry, we couldn't, we couldn't shout you and couldn't holler you and couldn't, you know, hey, come back next week and we'll, you know, we'll do a little more jumping. But today, we just needed to understand God's word, get God's heart in his word. Amen. And I pray you receive the word. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads and let's pray.